is the rest stop. Brad Restituto. Seven years. Handoff. Damian Williams trying to get to the edge. Breaks a tackle. 35, 30. Damian Williams, 20. Stays in bounds. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Kansas City. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben. All the way back to the 2, to the 1. And the Browns have it in the end zone. And they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown. Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown. Derek looks left. Derek going to throw for the end zone. Caught! It is caught! Touchdown! <laughs> Welcome to the rest stop on this Tuesday evening, July 13th, 2021. I'm Brad Restituto, at Brad the Believer on Instagram and Twitter. Spencer Ostrowski joins me, as always, at Spencer the Wiz on Twitter for him. Uh, the sports cycle keeps going, folks, as uh, even though we're coming up on NFL training camp shortly and the NBA season winding down, we have USA Olympics, USA basketball we'll get into. We're at the halfway point in the Major League Baseball season. The Major League Baseball All-Star game was tonight, the home run derby last night. We'll discuss that. NBA Finals game number four in Milwaukee tomorrow night. We'll recap and review that as well and some also some more sports news around the landscape tonight. We'll start it off in Major League Baseball tonight. But before we do that, I'll give a quick shout out to some listeners tonight uh, over, I believe, in Fargo. Tom, Grayson, Brian, Amanda, Dan. Uh, if I missed anyone else, hopefully I did not say hello to them. Hopefully they're staying uh, warm. It's the summertime, so it should be kind of warm and safe travels to Tom when he comes back to Vegas. Myself and Spencer are in Vegas as we are every day. We reside here. And that's where we broadcast the podcast live. But Major League Baseball tonight, Spence, the All-Star Game halfway point in the Major League Baseball season. The American League won their eighth straight All-Star Game tonight by a score of 5-2. to two. Uh, The MVP was Vlad Guerrero as he had a deep home run in this matchup. The win went to Shohei Otani. He only pitched one inning, scoreless baseball there. Uh, but the American League got the win. It went under the total. If you were betting under 11, I think was the total. And National League may have been a small favor, but the American League got the win tonight. And in last night's home run derby, it was Pete Alonso of the New York Mets who won in the final uh, against Trey Mancini and won back-to-back home run derby championships uh, for the National League. Pete Alonso, he was a 5-1 to one underdog last night and won the home run derby spence uh any thoughts on the home run derby or, or all-star game we're at the halfway point in the major league baseball season the american league has seemed to have been dominant over the national league and pete alonzo last night back-to-back derby titles shohei otani was a big story coming into all-star week here uh, as he leads the entire majors with 32 home runs for the angels mike trout been out of the lineup with injury of course, a guy that can pitch and can hit on his level is extremely rare. We haven't seen in decades. Uh, the guy's been the story of Major League Baseball. But last night, he was out in the first round uh, to uh, Soto in the home run derby with still great action. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say from a betting perspective, it's it's uh it's it was great this weekend because uh, he siphoned all of the odds for whatever reason. He was the favorite to win MVP in the All Star game. He was the favorite to win the home run derby. 
So he may very well. He probably will. You know, he's pretty much a heavy favorite to win like the regular season MVP. But at least for the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby, a lot of people were able to cash in. And I will show briefly the winning home run from the Home Run Derby, because why not? A little celebration. As Alonzo comes out of the timeout and walks it off. What a finish. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby uh, so, yeah, there he was, Pete Alonzo, uh, repeat back-to-back uh, home run derby winner. Only two other players in MLB history have done that. That was a little uh, interesting fact I found about it. I-, I don't know, like, how exciting you get for the home run derby. It's pretty fun. I think the best part about those, honestly, is the connections that you see uh, between the people pitching and hitting. I find that to be a, a much more uh, interesting story or uh, – yeah, it's probably just if <laughs> you feel something like because it's like father son sometimes it's teammates and especially when it's like family members and you know that they've been doing that for so long. That's what I love about it. But hey, it's cool. I mean, you know, back to back winners. Shout out. Spence, uh, as far as Major League Baseball goes, we're at the halfway point in the season. Some of the standings to look at uh, in the American League East, the Boston Red Sox, after having a very disappointing season last year, they lead the American League East with 55 wins right behind them. Tampa Bay Rays a game and a half behind sporting my Rays shirt tonight due to uh, Major League Baseball being at the forefront uh, of the sports topics this evening. Behind them, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Yankees next to last with 46 wins. They're eight games out of first place. The Yankees have certainly fallen here over the last uh, five years or so in this division. They have really not uh, been in the World Series or won a World Series in quite some time. In the American League Central, the Chicago White Sox lead that division by eight games with 54 wins. Behind them are the Cleveland Indians. Uh, The bottom seller there are the Kansas City Royals. They've got 36 wins. In the American League West, the Houston Astros, they've got 55 wins, and they're ahead of the Oakland A's by three and a half games. They haven't played uh, that great here uh, over the last – well, they're seven and three in the last ten, but I would say ten before that they struggled a little bit, but they still lead the American League West second – season with Dusty Baker as the manager there in Houston. The National League, the New York Mets, they are three and a half games above the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League East with 47 wins. The Phillies are behind them and the Braves with 44 wins or four games out of first place, but they've lost Ronald Acuna for the season right before the All-Star break uh, with a knee injury. In the National League Central, the Brewers, they've got 53 wins. They're in first place. Behind them are the Reds, and then the Chicago Cubs are eight games out of first place in the NL Central. The NL West, surprisingly, the San Francisco Giants with 57 wins are playing really solid baseball, 30-13 and 13 home record. They've won uh, four in a row going into the break, seven and three in their last 10. But right behind them, the defending World Series champion Dodgers with 56 wins and the Padres with 53 wins. So it's going to be an exciting race for those playoff spots down the stretch in Major League Baseball at the halfway point. Spence, uh, another exciting news as, as we've got the NBA Finals coming up into Game 5 tomorrow. But before we hit that, let's talk about Olympic basketball because it's certainly been in the forefront of the news and not in good fashion if you're a USA basketball fan as they've lost two straight games going into tonight. They lost their opening exhibition matchup against Nigeria, and then last night they lost to Australia. And a lot of people, world is is collapsing, USA basketball, a lot of heated questions towards USA basketball coach Greg Popovich, uh, the USA basketball is used to blowing teams out. Uh, I personally spent some on the side of 
look, the, the competition is, is that much better now globally than it was five, 10, three, four, five years ago. I mean, you look down the rosters of these teams. These are professional players that are high-level competitors. And given the circumstances of the NBA this past season, uh, a condensed COVID season where you during the Orlando bubble, you had a small break in between the 2021 regular season and then the end of the 2020 season in the Orlando bubble. You condense that to 72 games, and then you don't even have two weeks break before these guys are heading to Las Vegas for USA basketball practice. So you still don't have the entire starting units having the chemistry that they're going to want to have at the start of the Tokyo games. And look, the competition is strong. These Australia guys, uh, Joe Ingles, Matt Delavadova, these uh, Patty Mills, these guys have played together for years, Nigeria, Argentina, uh, these teams have a lot of great chemistry, and it should be no surprise to anyone that a lot of these games will be close. And don't be shocked if USA basketball gets upset once the games matter, even though a lot of people aren't getting too concerned at this point. They got back on the winning track tonight, taking care of Argentina. Uh, but the competition globally, Spence, is very close, and this is going to be no cakewalk for USA basketball. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, in basketball, like back when Jordan was playing on the Olympic team, they had guys going up to them asking for autographs. And now, like these guys feature their teammates. I think that Australian team had like Joe Ingles. Like these are very prominent NBA players. And a lot of them have been playing together for a very long time now. And look, another part of it is the the players on Team USA just don't take it as seriously. I've heard Bradley Beal has been, you know, terrible for the team and uh maybe it's just they don't really understand just quite yet but i think they'll be fine i think they still will be favorites to win the tournament but would i be surprised at this point if they don't no because there's great competition out there it's actually really developing the international scene and i think the the rules are actually very loose too with like what national teams you can play on if you have some sort of heritage there i'll let you play for the team and i think that'll only grow because it's just you want to represent that country, right? And now that they have the confidence and a lot of the times the skill set now, because only until recently did players believe that they actually had an avenue to be a professional basketball player if they weren't born in the U.S. and they didn't play through the high school and college system. We're just talking about a completely different game now, and it's a major overreaction by a lot of sports pundits to think that this is, like, ridiculous. Spence, I'm going to pose this question to you, and uh... – I want your answer here. It's your last $5,000, Spence, and you have to spend it. It's your last five grand. You could take USA to win the gold medal. That 5000 would only win you 1500 back. Or you take the field and you get your 5000 back plus another 15000 Where does your confidence lie? USA gold or the field? I'll take USA gold. I, I really do, although I see what your point is and – uh, if you had those odds, I'm sure a lot of people would take them. Uh, but I think when you have someone like Kevin Durant, and then once you kind of gel that together, like I feel like they just need like a facilitator. And as silly as it sounds, I know Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are coming after the finals. Like they're confirmed to be a part of it. That I think will pretty much fill out the team. I mean, Drew Holiday will definitely be able to keep that intensity up, you know, defensively. I think that may end up going around the other guys, but it's just, this was the problem in the all-star game that we saw like kept with Kevin Durant's team where he picked all the scores, the Kyrie Irvings, the James Hardens, and I can't remember who else was on that team, but there weren't a lot of facilitators. And LeBron just picked all of them. 
So when you have Chris Middleton, who's averaging like six assists in this year's playoffs, and you know Drew Holiday is having a career a career you know passing playoff run right now, eight, nine, ten, eleven assists like almost every game now. That is what the team USA needs right now, not the skill set. Everyone keeps saying this is the B team, but they're way off. Damian Lillard, if he plays opposite of Chris Middleton, even if they have Drew Holiday and Damian Lillard, uh, you know Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and whoever they play at center. That team is going to be really hard to beat, and I don't think it will be when it's all said and done. I'm really curious, Spence. This is gonna. This is gonna. This is a great storyline. It really is. USA basketball dropping two straight is going to have people viewed in to see if they could get knocked off come elimination round time. And I'm excited to see it. And I may be a fool, but I'm going to put my money on the field. I, I'm just convinced at this point that uh, the the chemistry and the mental fatigue of this season, the condensed COVID season is going to put them right for the picking. And I saw a really good tweet that, that I tend to agree with. These aren't NBA officials. These are FIBA rules, FIBA officials, and they're not going to get some of those James Harden ticky tack calls that they're used to getting in the NBA. So I feel like the closer the games are, the more it, it favors the international teams like Australia, like Nigeria, whether it's Spain, because I, I feel if the USA is in a dogfight, and they start complaining about calls and stuff like that. These European teams don't get rattled like that. They're not going to be complaining and arguing to the officials. They will to some point, but their head's going to be on the game and focused on trying to win the game. Where I could see USA basketball in a close game, not getting a couple calls, maybe get out of rhythm, have some bad shot selections and turnovers. And I think they could be right, ripe to be picked off by one of these squads uh, come Tokyo time. And, and we're talking now – traveling from Vegas, getting back, going to Tokyo, man, it's, it's got to be exhausting. Not that it's not for some of the pro players as well on Australia, Nigeria, Spain, you name it. They've played in Euro league. They've also been playing competitive basketball throughout this time, but we'll have to see it. That's what, why it's going to be entertaining. That's why I'm going to be excited to watch. I've been wanting to watch these games, even though they're exhibition, they've been played here, USA basketball here in Las Vegas at the uh, Michelob Ultra arena where the, Las Vegas Aces play the WNBA team. So um, Coach Pop, uh, as, as Corey's mentioning here, he, he got into it with one of the reporters here. Uh, I wonder if I can with, pull that up. I'll see if I the, can. One of the questions uh, about, uh, you know, the fact that USA basketball has blown out these teams in the past. And, and look, there's both – I've heard both sides to it. Some people uh, are completely defending the reporter. But look – I, I I I completely agree with Pop. The comp- the competition is just that much better globally, and I think if you don't see that, you're you're not paying attention to basketball. You don't watch it. You, you're just diving in to the narratives and trying to create controversy. I mean, these guys are pros. You have Joe Ingles, who was on the number one overall seeded team, a huge contributor to the Utah Jazz. Pat Patty Mills has been with Australia basketball for many years. Matt Dellavedova gives people problems when he's in the starting lineup. And these are all starters for the Australian national team. Uh, these guys have played a lot together. Uh, Aaron Baines, a big contributor in the NBA, also on that team. So th- these aren't walkthroughs. I think Australia's ranked third and the FIBA rankings nationally. So, I mean, the USA is not just going to roll through teams by 30 every game. Now they, they rocked us uh, Argentina tonight, but that's not how it's going to be night in and night out. And Kevin Durant hasn't shot the the ball fantastically during the first two games. And the way 
the volume of shots he gets up and how effective of an offensive player he is. If his shots aren't falling consistently, it's going to leave the door open for other guys. Spence, if you've got this clip from Popovich, we'll play a little bit of it. Yeah, let's take a look here what uh, Pop had to say. It's about how much better the rest of the world has gotten over the years. Um, but in this being your first Team USA experience uh, in the Olympics and that sort of thing, what's it like for you to have having um, watched – your colleagues uh, go through some of these tournaments and, and blow these teams out. And now you are kind of experiencing um, a, a much different, much closer, tougher experience. Let me, let me also answer that question. You know, you asked the same sort of question, the same family of question last time, uh, where you assume things that are not true. When you just mentioned, you know, blowing these teams out, that's never happened. So I don't know where you get that. So, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish my statement? Can I can I finish my statement? When you talk, you, are you going to let me finish my statement or not? So you'll be quiet now while I talk, and then I'll listen to you. When you make statements about in the past just blowing out these other teams, number one, you give no respect to the other teams, and I talked to you last time about the same thing. We've had very close games against four or five countries in all these tournaments. So the good teams do not get blown out. There are certain games that might happen in one of the tournaments in the World Championship or Olympics where somebody gets blown out. But in general, nobody's blowing anybody out for the good teams. So when you make a statement like that, it's like you assume that's what's going on. And that's incorrect. Spence, that's uh, USA basketball coach Greg Popovich after yesterday's loss to Argentina, bringing USA basketball's record to 0-2 in the exhibition yesterday. They got right tonight, beating Argentina. And uh, I know Corey's giving me a hard time here talking about uh, the strength of the Australian national team's roster, but uh, I know he's a very proud American and, and is rooting for his USA basketball team to uh, go to Tokyo and bring back the gold and feeling like it should be a complete lock. But he, he's not giving enough credit to professional basketball players, even though these aren't Hall of Famers or all-star caliber players. Some don't even get a lot of starting time in the NBA. But just because you don't start in the NBA doesn't mean you're not uh, starter-worthy talent. A lot of it's system, a lot of it's politics. Um uh, let's see what Corey said here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there those things are all valid, but don't sit there and diminish uh, these players like they're just trash compared to the USA basketball. I know compared to Durant and Beal talent-wise, nobody stacks up, but that doesn't matter. You, Corey, you, you know as well as anybody, it's not about how talented you are. It's how well you play together as a team and the little things, the 50-50 balls, the free throw line. Uh, we're not talking about pickup basketball here. You've got to do the little things right because these games are going to come down to three and four possessions. So when you're in this dynamic, in this setting with Euro rules, FIBA refs, FIBA balls, um, you've got to be on point. You can't afford to go three of 11 from three when Nigeria lit it up uh, from three-point range. I mean, when, when Nigeria is hitting 17 threes a game, you're, it's going to be a close game. And Australia has a lot of chemistry, uh, and they're going to be scrappy and in close games. So if you're not doing everything on point, you're making sloppy turnovers, and you're not super efficient from three or from the free throw line, you're going to be in close games. I mean, Argentina I don't think is as good 
as Australia, not even close. And uh, I've got to look up their their roster. I'm not. I didn't get to see the game tonight, but uh, I know Argentina struggled with a couple teams. So, and USA basketball wasn't going to lose every single game. I mean, they're they're way too talented. So they got back on track tonight, which is no surprise. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, Wait uh, for your invite, Brad. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, but look, these, it's not going to be a cakewalk to the gold medal. So, you know, Corey, we can make a friendly wager on the side. If you like, I'll take the field. You can take USA basketball to win the gold medal. Uh, I think they're going to get picked off. I think there's too many. The competition is too good. And, and I just don't know that all the dominoes are going to fall into place with all the circumstances I mentioned earlier with USA basketball, that they're just going to come in and wipe the floor with everybody. Because like I said, if they're in a close game, I think it's going to favor one of the European teams, whether it's Spain, Australia, Nigeria, whoever. Uh, and a lot of these teams got a chip on their shoulder. And Nigeria is getting no respect at all uh, on their name, on their country, um, calling it a fluke. And these teams are, are going to take that and, and the point spread going into these games. <laughs> and USA basketball is going to have a big target on their back. So they've got to be on point and they can't afford to have an off night or, or they'll be going home early for sure. Spencer, yeah. any last words on that? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like anybody who's played professional basketball, uh, or not professional basketball, anyone who's gone to play like rec league basketball, pickup basketball, when you're playing in a single elimination, which is usually what it is, right? Like king takes a court or whoever wins is the king of the court. Like not the best team doesn't always win. And you can definitely tell, like any person who knows how to play basketball can tell which team is better skill-wise. But again, it's like the small plays and also like, Maybe this team just gets hot. Maybe the other team's trying a lot harder because the more skilled team doesn't think they need to play as hard. Like all of those things are very legitimate possibilities. And I think that's what's happening right now. And I think that skill gap, as it does close in, that just means that there's going to be, you know, less wins for Team USA. Not that, again, I think they're going to be favored, but I, it's very possible that they'll lose. And there's going to be guys that aren't household names, Spence, that try to put themselves on the map whether they're pro players yeah. in Europe or Africa, Already. those guys that are going to come out and they're just going to dominate and they're going to play fantastic. Look, R Ricky Rubio made a name for himself in Olympic basketball, Luka Doncic. There's going to be guys uh, that they're going to, that people don't know by name that are going to have outstanding performances in Tokyo and they're going to put themselves on the platform. So USA basketball has to be prepared for that. So they've got to be on point and we'll see, uh, We'll see how it transitions going into Tokyo and once the games really start to matter. Uh, Spence, we'll keep it in basketball. Let's go to the NBA, though. A couple guys that are Olympians that are still playing in the finals, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, uh, Giannis for the Greek national team as, as Greece lost in the finals. They won't of the Euro, and they will not be representing in the Olympics. But uh, look, Spence, we're coming into, into game four, uh, two to one. The Phoenix Suns still lead the series, uh, but I think it's almost unarguable that the MVP through three games of the NBA Finals is Giannis Antetokounmpo. We've uh, we've criticized him. We've been hard on him, but only because this guy is a multiple-time MVP, and he's the leader of that Bucks franchise, and, and that franchise goes as he goes. And when he's really poor from the free-throw line, and taking bad shots from three and his team loses, he's going to get criticized. When he plays the way he's played through three games, even though the Bucs are still down, uh, he deserves all the credit in the world. And he is the clear-cut MVP of these finals, even though his team's down. He was outstanding from the free-throw line in the Game 3 victory. 
And if he continues to play like this, uh, the Phoenix Suns are going to have to hold on for dear life because they're going to be in for a wild ride the rest of the series. Um, Devin Booker has been uh, struggling here in these finals. We expect him to get back on track. In game three, Spence, though, Phoenix wasted an effort from Jay Crowder hitting – I think six or seven from three, 15 points from Cam Johnson. But Giannis has been absolutely dominant and outstanding. And when he plays like he did in game three and as efficient as he was from the free throw line, this is going to be a heck of a series moving forward. And the Bucs will look to even it up and send it back to Phoenix tied at two games apiece. Yeah, I mean, what Giannis has been able to do in this uh, playoff run, or I should say just even in the finals, considering like coming off of a – knee injury that looked catastrophic that looked like <laughs> it looked like he tore his ACL his MCL like everything that was a really nasty looking thing so again it almost like adds to the mysticism of the Greek freak like his nickname where it looks like he's going to be out like for a really long time right if he tears his ACL right there he's not back for the playoffs for next year like you got to think about it that far ahead and yet somehow he comes in hobbled in game one, which everyone kind of expected, even though he did play pretty well, considering like rebound wise. And then game two, it starts immediately where he legitimately dominates the game. But it's crazy to think that it's also he has hurt his team, too, with this free throw shooting like he talked about, where it's like during the last two minutes, it's like he's just not a very useful player that I think will be the difference in the playoffs. You and I both agreed, you know, coming out of the first two games that this series was far from over. I never believe that the Phoenix Suns were just going to walk through and sweep them in the playoffs. Like the Bucks have just been, you know, too good to let that happen. They've had, you know, enough, you know, breaks in the playoffs. And so have the Suns too. But I've been thinking about that. Like everyone's like, oh, they only made it because of this, that, and that. Well, that's just the reality of the situation. It's not their fault. And they even won a couple of games, you know, you know when Trey Young was in, Giannis was out. They won those games. So they've had a pretty hard journey just to get there. And who cares? Like They're in the finals now, and they have to take advantage of it. And it looked like they were. And the biggest difference in Game 3, obviously, was that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton were not terrible. <laughs> like It kind of feels like that was the biggest difference in Games 1 and 2, right? Where it's Giannis is playing really well, and the other guys just weren't. So if they could just get a little bit out of them, and I think that they are going... Well, I mean, it's easier to say at home. So let's say they take care of business at home. They're going to need to find a way to get it done away, which I don't know if they can just quite yet. But I do predict uh, that this will be tied up at two to two. And we'll see what happens when we go back to Phoenix. If they, you know, that game will probably decide the series to a certain extent. Because like, if Milwaukee is able to do it, I feel like they can get it done in game six, too. For some reason, I don't know what it is. I'm not a huge believer in the Suns. I put my money on Milwaukee to win this series before it started, right before game one. Uh, I actually bet them at plus 180, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, because I, Giannis was playing and I thought they had a chance to win that game one. Uh, so I got a you know half-decent price on it at that point. But again, I know Chris Paul has been incredible in this year's playoffs, but something in the back of my mind just feels like it's going to go wrong for him and that this is really going to be the platform for Giannis to ascend and become great. Every, I think every great player has these kinds of questions going into their career. I can't think of a time where it's gone straight through. Magic Johnson is probably, you know, the exception to that rule because he won a championship in his rookie year, very extreme circumstances. But think about LeBron's journey to where he is now. A lot of guys, you know, discounted him forever in that first year in Miami, even further. And now he cemented his legacy. If Giannis is able to get a championship at 26 years old, even if he never does it again, which the way he plays, it seems like 
impossible. Like as long as he gets one other star, because the team that he's doing it with now just isn't that great. Uh, you know, it's just truly great. Like, I love basketball, and I think this is a really great series. <laughs> I agree, Spence. And, and I know we're only three games in, but let's just play hypothetical here because it's only happened one time in NBA history and probably will never happen again. But is there a legitimate argument if this goes seven games this series and Giannis continues to put up historic numbers like he has in a losing effort and Phoenix gets inconsistent play, uh, but a lot of a lot of great play from the surrounding cast? Uh, would Giannis be deserving of the finals MVP on a losing team? It'll never happen, uh, but would that be up for discussion if he continues to put up these numbers in a losing effort? I mean, Chris Paul had six turnovers in a winning effort in one of these games. Devin Booker was uh, 10 points and almost a no-show in the loss in game number three. So if the Suns continue to get inconsistent play from their stars, but they still find a way to win this series, but Giannis is the sole dominant force for Milwaukee, putting up averaging possibly 40 points, 10-plus rebounds, and five assists throughout the finals you'd have a legitimate argument for a guy winning the finals MVP on a losing team. Yeah, well, I'll say this right now. If you want to get the technical most dollar amount value, you know, for uh, like betting, bet Giannis to win finals MVP. His odds are a little bit better than Milwaukee for the series. And obviously, obviously, if Milwaukee wins the series, yes, good call Giannis there, is going to do it. So again, it's I think it's like, uh, plus 285 or something like right now, or it was a couple of days ago and it's like plus 280 for the series. And then you get a little bit more, but again, I feel like it's just free money out there to a certain extent. So you might as well take advantage of that. And there is also that possibility you talked about, but here's the problem with that, because I feel like in any other, you know, situation, yeah, maybe like you, you could see that happening. It's like LeBron was really close in that golden state series for Andre Godala win, which is funny to even think about now that the guy who guarded LeBron won it, even though LeBron was also being considered for finals MVP. I don't know. But uh, Chris Paul is like the story of the playoffs right now. And I feel like that narrative has driven all the way to the finals. Uh, So I feel like no matter what, even though Giannis has had an incredible run, it's like everybody wants that final conclusion. Like, yes, this we've been saying this about Chris Paul forever, even though almost nobody has everyone wants to seem like they did. So I, I think Chris Paul definitely has it in the bag. If the sun's, uh, you know, take it regardless of what happens with Giannis, which is crazy to even think about. Yeah, if you're interested in the series, leave your series prediction in the chat. If you like Bucks and seven, Suns and seven, Bucks and six, uh, leave it in the chat here. It's going to be a really good series, regardless coming down the stretch, because we know that Devin Booker hasn't played his best game, and he'll come back better in the next few games. Uh, Giannis is uh, has been a beast, and he shot well from the free throw line, and that's been a big criticism we've had. Uh, of the Bucks and this team and their ability to win a title. I mean, because come before game three, Phoenix was on pace to set an NBA finals record for free throw percentage. We talked about the efficiency from the free throw line could be a deciding factor in a team that's as solid as Phoenix. It's going to be hard to beat, especially if your best player is not even shooting 50% from the foul line. But Giannis was fantastic in game three. We'll see if he can back that up in game four. The Bucks do play better at home. Although, Spence, in game three, Phoenix did have the lead after one period, and that's kind of rare when a team is down 2 nothing coming back into their home building. So Phoenix certainly missed some opportunities in game three, especially with the way Cam Johnson 
and the way that Jay Crowder played. They were really, really good. Uh, and Devin Booker was almost non-existent. We certainly expect him to be better. Uh, DeAndre Ayton got into foul trouble, and that was a huge factor because when they had to go small without having Dario Saric in there, uh, with with losing him to, to injury, Frank Kaminsky had to come in there, and he just doesn't have enough defensive prowess uh, to do any damage uh, against Giannis in the post and Lopez down there. So uh, they, they were able to mix it up a little bit in the third quarter going small, but then uh, as Milwaukee got settled, they started to pull away, and they really pulled away from that series. So they're going to need DeAndre Ayton to stay out of foul trouble. He was fantastic matching Giannis bucket for bucket. He was great in the first half and then got that out of foul trouble. So we'll see how this series, can, series continues to progress. Of course, Milwaukee's going to have the huge advantage at home. They're almost unbeatable during the playoffs at home. But we know if anyone can do it, Phoenix can. They swept Denver. Denver's a tough place to win on the road. They've won in L.A. and Staples Center, so they can certainly win anywhere. Uh, and I expect Devin Booker to really have a really solid game uh, in Game 4, and we'll see if DeAndre Ayton continues to play as well as he has. This break, this long three-day uh, rest in between games is going to be really beneficial for the road team for Phoenix. So I expect a really exciting game for coming up to, tomorrow night, Spence. Um, I'm going to lean towards you, though. I think Milwaukee holds home court. I think I'll lean towards them minus the four points. And I think we're in for a really good series the rest of the way. No, and I think you brought up probably the greatest point of this series. As amazing as Giannis has been, and it's historically amazing i you know i don't like to uh, use that word lightly because i feel like everything's historic for some reason now or they find a way to make it historic uh is deandre ayton i mean he's essentially the number one factor of the series he had a bad second quarter but other than that he was the best son by far in this series and he like holds them together he's like a linchpin for the team which is uh i you know i've been big on him for a long time like i've always kind of been a fan of his i've always thought he was good but, you know, people are now starting to realize that without him, they're just a really small team with a bunch of young perimeter shooters. And that's a big difference between a pick and roll guy who completely changes the dynamic of the game. Yep. Uh, bravo. Sorry you weren't in for the first 15 minutes. We already hit the all-star game at the uh, top of the show. So if you want to hear about it, you can go back to the beginning uh, of the podcast. Uh, you can check us out live, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. The rest out there, also on my Facebook channel, on Twitter, at Brad the Believer. If you miss any part of the show live, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer, there on YouTube. And we post a podcast uh, replays on there uh, the following week. And also any of the audio versions of the rest stop you can check out on any of the podcasting platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple uh, just search Landry Football Conference Call and the rest stop will be underneath there. So we already hit All-Star Game, Home Run Derby, Talk USA Basketball, NBA Finals Game 4 uh, tomorrow. Spence, we hit a little bit uh, before before we got on the air. We talked um, uh, the Euro, uh, Euro Cup, Italy, over I believe over the weekend took care of England. Uh, if you want to give some thoughts on that, Spence, it was some exciting action and the fans, of course, are rabid uh, with, with soccer. But Italy won, I believe, in penalty kicks. Yeah, they did. It was uh, Italy came out like hot. They came. They made, they scored the fastest goal in the finals history. I think it was like the second or third minute. So that was like obviously the crowd was booming. And then eventually, you know, Italy did tie it up, and it went into extra time. Really, nothing happened in those fifteen minute periods. I think both teams were playing for the penalty kick, so they felt like they were ready. And then the, when they went to it. Uh, it came out even crazier. Like uh, England hit their first one, Italy missed it. So now it looks like, oh wow, England's got it. All they got to do is, you know, make the rest of their uh, penalty kicks. That's it, Euro over. 
I think England would then go on to miss three of their next five shots, which is pretty uncharacteristic in soccer. But here's the thing, uh, the kind of the pivotal point of the match when it came to those penalty kicks. The English manager, I don't know who he was, or the coach, whatever you want to call him, he bought, he brought in subs at the very end of the game for those penalty kicks, bringing in some really young kids who had not played in the game, so they were not, you know, warm. They weren't. They were just going in cold for these penalty kicks in England in front of a gajillion, you know, fans. And then the last guy who took the kick was uh, this young kid, Saka. He plays for Arsenal, so I, I know him pretty well. It's my favorite soccer team, and you know, he just missed it because uh, I actually had an opportunity, you know, to keep the penalties going, but. For, the, for someone that young, it's just not a great opportunity. So I put a lot of the blame on the manager. A lot of pressure in the moment, too. So I'm not saying I would have, you know, the average person would have made the perfect decision. He did what he thought was best for the club, obviously. Uh, did not work out. But a very entertaining Euros. Uh, I thought, you know, a lot of the big countries were in it. So you always got to appreciate that uh, just because there's just a bigger fan base. Not that the smaller countries don't have a dedicated following because they do. Uh, but unfortunately, the aftermath of the game for England was uh, very not pretty. Uh, the young kid Saka and some of the other African-American players, you know, suffered some real abuse. It was online. So, I mean, that's just kind of bound to happen. But we know like England just and soccer in general has a horrible track record with racism, like some real genuine racism too. Uh, some that'll like make your skin crawl. Uh, but unfortunately, that kind of, for me, overshadowed the Euro finals, but nonetheless, it was an entertaining game. Spence, before we bounce it back over to the NBA, uh, talking about controversy, um, Stephen A. Smith had to issue an apology here over the last 24 hours. He was in, uh, involved in a conversation that apparently rubbed some people the wrong way. Uh, Spence, talk about uh, this Stephen A. Smith apology, what he was criticized for, and how this came about. Yeah, so I'll play the initial clip on first take. He talked about Shohei Otani being the face of the MLB or face of the league, I should say. And I understand that baseball is an international sport itself in terms of participation. But when you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, okay, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying in this country. And that's what I'm trying to say. You know, in so th- those were the controversial words of Stephen A. Smith. Obviously, the uh, general public did not take that very well. And uh, I'll quickly play his apology, and then I'll give some of my quick notes on the situation. My segment on Atani this morning on First Take. People are misinterpreting what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the state of the game. Baseball itself. Baseball is a great game, a great sport. And some of the greatest players in the world are foreign players. Tatis comes to my mind. I love this brother and what he brings to the table. And Otani is the second coming of Babe Ruth, okay? That's not what I was trying to say. I'm talking about the marketability and the promotion of the sport is exactly what Sports Illustrated essentially alluded to in their article last month when they talked about 28% of the players in Major League Baseball are foreign players. A lot of them need translators. You know, Spanish, it could be Mandarin, Japanese, the list goes on and on and on. If you are a sport trying to ingratiate yourself with the American public the way Major League Baseball is because of the problems that you've been having to deal with in terms of improving the attractiveness of the sport 
it helps that if you if you spoke the English language. It doesn't mean anything more than that. Baseball is a great game, but baseball's audience is significantly older than the NBA, the NFL audience, etc., etc. That's what I was talking about. Nothing more. We're only talking about Otani because he's phenomenal. He's going to be in the home run derby and he's got 33 home runs with a 279 batting average. Plus, he can pitch and he's the second coming of Babe Ruth, practically. We know it's an international sport. We know that that's great. And baseball having a global appeal that it is, fine. But in the United States, all I was saying is that when you're a superstar, if you can speak the English language, then guess what? That's going to make it that much easier and less challenging to promote the sport. That's all. So th- those were the uh, gracious words of Stephen A. Smith. Uh, here, here I, I kind of alluded to it, you know, uh, when I was talking about the Euro finals and the aftermath and the racism. I'm not saying what Stephen A. Smith was insensitive. Like, I don't really I'm just not one to dictate what's insensitive and what's not, I guess. It doesn't really matter to me, but I, I will say this because I, I have seen what true racism is. And that's to me, not true racism. Like that's harmless ignorance, if you will. Like I've come face to face with anti-Semitism in my life. And most of the time it matters just so little. Like it does, it legitimately doesn't matter because it's harmless. They're going to take it to their deathbed. Who cares? Right. That's you're allowed to believe what you want to believe. Real racism uh, you know, is shooting up a synagogue, shooting up massage parlors, like where Asian people work. Like that's what it actually is. And I think when we say like, this is it, and we say, this is the problem, then we're ignoring what the real issue is. I've been to concentration camps and I know what true hatred is. And this is not it. That That's my general feeling on it. And like when in soccer, when bananas are thrown on the field and signs are put up that says we don't want black players on our team, that is like, uh, you know, destructive racism versus whatever we want to call this. I'm on board with you, Spence. I mean, we're, we're just in a, a heightened sensitivity culture where people have to backtrack and be careful with everything that they say uh, on a enormous platform like ESPN or Fox or anything like that. And it's, it's quite frankly, sad. It's sad that I, well, I didn't even really hear an apology in what Stephen A. Smith said <laughs> yeah. there. And I don't really care. Like you said, I mean, there's nothing he said to me that crossed the line that wasn't factual. Um, and he, he, to me, uh, if you want to talk about ignorance, possibly, but I don't think he was stating anything that was insensitive or that was intended to be, um, you know, racist or prejudiced. I mean, he was just kind of stating uh, the truth of, where baseball is. I don't care personally. I'm going to be, I'm a fan of a guy's performance regardless. I mean, if I want somebody to get behind a mic and shoot a promo and and entertain me that way, I'll watch the WWE or I'll I'll turn on wrestling or MMA. Uh, When you're talking about a performance-based sport like baseball, basketball, it, it may be a little different, but I'm watching and seeing what the guy does on the field. I mean, I can really care less uh, about how fluent he is in the language, but I understand Stephen A's point completely. Uh, And baseball has a huge problem 
drawing eyes in a certain type of demographic to their product. Because we've talked about it, Spence. Baseball is boring. Ba Corey put it in the comments. Baseball is for an older demographic, 50 plus. It's boring. It's got way too many games. We're only at the all-star break of the Major League Baseball season. We've got another half of the season. I mean, snore me to sleep. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Baseball has a huge problem on its hands because the all-star game tonight took three hours to complete. Uh, and it's already slow enough as it is. And you can't keep people engaged for that long in a season that's over 150, 160 games. I'm sorry, it's too long. And you're never going to attract a younger audience with the baseball being that long. I, I've said it from the beginning of this baseball season, at the beginning of me doing this podcast. I'm interested in baseball come postseason time. And we're going to rarely cover it here otherwise. So, that's the problem baseball has on its hands. I think it's got a good problem having uh, the face, if you want to call it that, uh, of a guy that's not American-born. I think Otani's phenomenal. Uh, I'm not going to call him the second coming of anybody, but the fact that he's a, a solid starting pitcher and an elite hitter is fantastic for the game. And I think more of the story should be is how ashamed should the Anaheim Angels be of themselves that they've got a guy like Otani on their roster and Mike Trout, and they can barely ever sniff the playoffs. I think we should be talking about that more than whether Stephen A's comments are insensitive or not. I think it's it's fairly ridiculous, um, and that's the culture we live in, Spence. You can't really uh, get into any type of discussion or conversation without being completely careful with every word that you say. Uh, Bravo, I'll, I'll quickly address your comment. Uh, Rachel Nichols wasn't suspended. She was taken off the beat of the NBA finals. Look, I'm not going to get into this. This is more ridiculous nonsense that I'm really not going to pay too much attention to. Uh, look, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Maria Taylor, the timing, read into the story. She's due a contract extension. This tape or leaked video apparently has been held onto for a year. I think it has nothing to do with racism, this, con this conversation. I mean, it's just silly. Spence talked about uh, what true racism looks like. And these conversations and stuff that doesn't have a, a direct in, impact on people to me is a lot of ignorance. There's a difference between ignorance and racism. And, and this is just more nonsense to just talk about in the news cycle. And I'm uh, not going to give it give it a, enough time. Spence, please, if you'd like to comment on it, go ahead. Yeah. All I wanted to say is by doing this, uh, like, I just feel like you're adding fuel to the crazies. And what I mean by that is you're giving media attention to racism, which is like the exact opposite. Most racist people do it for attention. And also, we didn't mention this, but uh, and it kind of ties into all this uh, to me is like before the All-Star game, like a couple days, they found a bunch of guns right by Core Stadium. Like they were planning on shooting up the All-Star game. And luckily, a maid found it. And then the guy, like, it all stemmed from the guy, like, kind of where they found it out from. On Facebook, he says, I'm going out with a bang. Like, these people do these horrendous acts because they feel like they're going to get famous from it. And they do. And that's the issue. You want to talk about school shooters? You want to talk about mass shooters at synagogues? We put them on a pedestal. I've said this so many times. And, you know, I only know this so well because I work in the, in the, um, in the industry and in media. It doesn't matter whether you click because something's good or because something's bad. You make them famous by clicking on it. I mean, that's the way that this industry works. Bad media, bad attention 
is still the same as somebody who does it for the for the right reasons. And I wish we would stop putting a name to all these faces. And clearly, when you put it on national attention, it just disseminates, right? Is Stephen A. Smith racist? And then that just sparks it. Like, wow, like, here it is. Like, okay, now I should start commenting on this. It's a horrible train of thought. And again, I think by putting this up on the pedestal of racism, you're ignoring what the real part of it is. And really, the real solution to me is complete ignoring it they'll go on to something else to find attention elsewhere i promise you that's just how these people work spence before we wrap up the show tonight let's go back to the nba uh you had some some thoughts and comments on some of the incoming free agents in the nba and and where their potential landing spots may be yeah so there's a a few small stories that came out from the athletic you know today like throughout the week Lonzo Ball. So apparently the Pelicans will not be, uh, you know, matching any significant offer. He is a restricted free agent. For those of you who don't know, that means a team can offer him a free agent contract, and the, but the team has the right to match it, and then they still own that contract. So essentially, the market dictates the price, and apparently to New Orleans, the price uh, there is a certain threshold for Lonzo Ball to be on their team. Among the teams that are most interested, reported from you know Athletic are the LA Clippers and the Chicago Bulls, which would be really cool to see him on the Chicago Bulls. It kind of feels like that's a team that would suit him really well, especially with Zach Levine there. Oh, wow. That, that, the more I think about it, the more exciting it is. I would love to watch that team. I know you're a huge fan of him, so I imagine that would be really uh, significant for you. And, of course, the LA Clippers, although I, think, I don't think they're going to have enough free agency money to make that happen. Yeah, I'm really curious to see where Lonzo go, goes in this uh in this free agent cycle here because he certainly put himself in a position to get paid. Uh, he, he had a vast improvement in his shot, which was his most scrutinized aspect of his game coming into this season. I think he shot close to 40% from three. His shot looks in, immensely better. He stayed healthy for the most part. So kudos to him earning this upcoming contract. Of course, I would, in a perfect world, love to see him partnered uh, with his brother in Charlotte and then find the other brother on there because I love stories like this, uh, and I would love to see what they can do. I know um, LaVar talked about having them play on the the same Drew League team this summer, uh, so I doubt that's going to happen, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So Lonzo may not end up in Charlotte uh, with his brother, but uh, he's going to get paid, and he deserves it, Spence, because he's improved that shot, and I think his game's only going to get better as uh, time goes on and he, and he stays healthy. Uh, you mentioned Colin Sexton, Spence, uh, young uh, superstar player. Well, I wouldn't say superstar, but young uh, up-and-coming player for the Cleveland Cavaliers in trade talk, Spence. Yeah, so apparently the New York Knicks are heavily interested. I, I forget the exact phrasing of it, but uh, this is a pretty interesting storyline because – I mean, the real downfall of the Knicks in the playoffs, besides fatigue, which we know Tom Thibodeau is just terrible at, he just doesn't really understand how that works, is the inability to score and guys to create for themselves. Quickly, you saw like an ounce of it, but he was so young, and I'm not sure he's ever going to fill into a starting role. It just feels like he's a bench-type player. Colin Sexton feels that way at times, but I feel like, uh, you know, for what the New York Knicks need, it's not a bench player. This guy, you know, screams like a young, uh, not as good Lou Williams to me. And I think he could develop into that. But if you have a team that's desperate to find scoring in the starting lineup, this could be the solution for it. And I think that's why they're so interested in acquiring the young kid who still has like a year left on his rookie contract. Spence, you also had some uh, thoughts on Ben Simmons activity coming in this offseason with the Sixers. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously there's been a a lot going on uh, with Ben Simmons in the offseason. 
Uh, he had a horrible postseason, which kind of started all this talks. The initial story was, uh, you know, no Ben Simmons, and uh, we're not. We're going to fix it. We're going to work on his issues, and then that has now transitioned to he is on the trade block. Uh, but apparently, they're asking for quite the hefty price for the young kid. Uh, who had career lows in points, rebounds, and assists, even though I think he averaged like 14, 6, and 7. Uh, so he still had a pretty darn good year, in my opinion. Three uh, defense, all defensive teams. So I think he's a very valuable commodity. And, uh, you know, my conspiracy theory or what I would like to see is maybe the Grizzlies trying to get in on this because I think the way to play Ben Simmons is either a power forward or the center position. I don't think he can be successful as a point guard because you just need your point guard in today's modern NBA to be a little more willing to score or at least have that scoring ability. I think you can really push him to small ball center to play that Draymond Green role, but he's more significant and better than Draymond Green is. And we all know how successful they were. So I think if you have John Morant and Ben Simmons playing the five at certain spots, you have a really great fast break. That's only one example in a list of a million, but I would assume the team that takes him on doesn't assume he's going to start shooting in order to kind of overcome that hurdle, which I think you can, you got to play him at the lower positions where shots just aren't disseminated enough. Of course, there's, you know, circumstances outside of that. You know, the Grizzlies have Jonas Valanciunas, who they feed Joel Embiid. But outside of that, the more modern teams, they're not looking to do that kind of stuff. So that's where he can be successful. We'll see. There's a lot of interest in him. They want an all-star caliber player back. That was a quote from the athletic. I don't know, you know, what that means down the line, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see because I don't I think there's going to be too much pressure. and I think he will end up moving from Philadelphia. We'll just see who's willing to give up enough to, you know, take on the young kid. Yeah, Spence, that was kind of going to be my question. Do you anticipate a lot of fireworks this NBA offseason with uh, Simmons, Brad Beal and some other big names possibly suiting up in other uniforms come the 2021-2022 season? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. You know, it's it's hard to predict those kinds of things, but it does feel like there's a mounting pressure. Some of that's from social media, so it feels like there's probably more pressure than there actually is. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, Philadelphia, we know, is a very demanding city. And, uh, you know, the pass, as everyone calls it, where you had the wide open layup and he passed it out, you know, that, that stings in their minds. I think in any other city, it's, you know, it's not like that. You know, I guess in L.A., it'd probably be a little more like that. Uh, but I think it would do him really well to go to a smaller city, too. So I think they'll be interested in maybe trying to find that trade package for him to find a better situation and maybe getting a bigger personality to take on, you know, in Philadelphia to pair with Joel Embiid. That is the voice of Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. This is the rest stop. If you miss any part of the show, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer. Uh, we go live on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. And uh, Spence, we're going to hit one last story before we wrap it up. And I uh, wanted to talk UFC 264 here in Las Vegas, an eventful weekend in Las Vegas as at Allegiant Stadium. Garth Brooks played an enormous concert. And at the T-Mobile Arena, Conor McGregor was back in the octagon in his third, I believe his third bout with Dustin Poirier. And, and it only lasted one round, Spence. Uh, I don't want to get to the audio. because It's great audio, but UFC always flags us if we put videos out there for copyright issues. But uh, – Conor McGregor, TKO after round one, Spence. You watched the fight. I watched the fight. Uh, what did you see? Yeah, I, I it felt uh, like a great fight. First of all, the energy of the fight was like nothing I had ever experienced. And I've started to watch UFC quite frequently now. And, I mean, that's just how Conor McGregor is. That's why he brings in so much money. You know, love him or hate him. Obviously, most people hate him because he's a pretty horrible person. Uh, the guy's an entertainer, and he definitely brings it in the ring. 
or the octagon. It was probably the better way to say that. Uh, but I feel like he didn't have the advantage on the, on, you know, face to face, but he was sticking in it. And I feel like a couple of punches could have landed his way. Who knows what would have happened? He ruined himself, you know, by going to the ground. He gets cocky. I don't, I mean, that's just the nature of who he is. That's his downfall always. But he tried to go for the rear naked chokehold. And of course, Dustin Poirier is just way too skilled on the ground to ever let that happen, obviously. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much the end. You know, Dustin took over at that point. I'm, who knows when his leg fractured uh, because McGregor is going pretty hard for the kicks, which is normally a pretty good strategy. And I guess those things can happen for any certain number of reasons. But I actually think McGregor is very lucky to have it happen the way he did because obviously that bone was hanging on by a thread. So instead of him kicking and his leg essentially explodes, it's a little softer. It's a cleaner break by him stepping backwards. Who knows if he'll ever be back in the octagon fighting again. You know, he'll want to. It's about a six-month recovery from what his doctors are saying before he can start training again. He wants to fight him again. I'm sure it'll happen. And if it does, he'll put on the semantics again. I think Connor's best days in the octagon are numbered. I think we will see him again, but I think uh, the chance of him uh, being a champion again are slim to none. Um, and he's cashed in. I think he's done his job well, but I think his days as a prize fighter are numbered. Do you agree with that, Spence? Who I don't know. He, he actually, I, I will say, I mean, I, I, I don't follow him. I'm not a fan, of course, but he looked fine in the octagon. Like, I really do think, like, Dustin Poirier is fighting for the title, and he's favored, by the way. You right. know, that, that belt was just vacated, you know, just not that long ago but and won by Charles Oliveira. So it's not like this guy's a dominant dude, but he is the top of the division as of right now, and Dustin Poirier is a pretty heavy favorite over him. So it's not like McGregor's fighting bad talent and still getting killed. He goes for the top. I mean, he lost to Khabib, and really, uh, the fight really made me realize just how amazing Khabib was. To go undefeated in the UFC is insane, first of all, impossible. Right. And the guys who he beat to get there, again, it's truly incredible. So I don't want to – I still think Conor McGregor can have his time, and I still think he could have actually won that fight, you know, if a few punches went his way. I, I don't think this is his last fight ever. I don't think he'll, like, go out losing. I think he'll go out with a win against somebody, whether it's Dustin or not. I'm not sure, but we'll have to see. Yeah, that's Spencer Ostrowski. And uh, one last announcement before we sign off tonight. Um, some news in the uh, Brad the Believer camp here. Um, I, with uh, COVID kind of in the rearview mirror, uh, I accepted a job here locally in uh, Vegas doing something outside of uh, broadcasting and media that will interfere with our times that we broadcast the rest of podcasts. So in all likelihood, this upcoming Thursday show will be the last rest stop podcast for quite a while. Uh, I want to thank Spence for all the work he's done. He's been uh, the best guy I could ever draw up or imagine uh, for this show. He's been amazing to me. He's done more than I could have ever asked. And he's been uh, the best contributor you can think of. And he's so talented and has uh, so much ahead of him in, uh, Las Vegas and in sports media and broadcasting. Uh, of course, I want to thank Chris Landry for giving us the platform on LandryFootball.com where a lot of the podcasts are broadcast. So um, I want to thank everyone that, that chimed in with the chats over the 80 plus episodes that we did here at the rest stop. Uh, hopefully there will be more down the road. Make sure you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to still try to do some stuff with Spence here and there. When we have time, we'll try to put some videos together, put some content for the YouTube channel. Uh, Spence will always be a great friend that I hold, hold close and dear to me. Uh, so we'll, we'll still be in, in contact down the road. Just things are going to change a little bit because you got to 
take care of what you got to take care of. So I'll still try to put some content on the YouTube channel. We'll chime in uh, during football Sundays and give some reaction to those games. Um, but the, the podcast will be on hold for probably the foreseeable future. So everyone that's contributed to make this happen, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I've always wanted to have the platform to do my own thing. I've had that freedom here with the rest stop. So I thank Spence, thank Chris Landry Football, and everybody that jumped into the chats and contributed and clicked and liked and viewed everything that we've done. So uh, that being said, we'll be back on Thursday, and we'll try to give a good uh, finale to the show then. Until then, I hope everybody has a great night, and we'll see you back on Thursday.